Spirit. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, the Holy Spirit and how that impacts uh, all of our life in the church and how we see ourselves even in Christ. Um, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day, a day that you have given us to worship you, a day that we can gather together as your body and praise your holy name. And so that's what we do today, as we gather as your church, as we gather as family, let us lift up our minds and our hearts to you and see you for who you are as we have sung those songs and as we now open up your word, I just pray that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts so that we can know you, that we can follow you that we can be yours with all of who we are, and that we can give our lives as we go out of here to you and your service. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all of those things. In Jesus' name, amen. So every night, I have a bedtime routine with my son Titus that Jillian, our three-year-old, usually crashes, but it's mostly focused on Titus because he can comprehend it. Uh, and where we read the Bible, we, we pray, but we also go through the New City Catechism, which is um, a catechism is just basically a question and answer kind of format of the basis of the faith. And I remember when we first started doing that, uh, we ran into some issues um, because my son got mad at something he just couldn't understand. Because question three of the New City Catechisms asked this question, says, how many persons are there in God? And the answer is, there are three persons in the one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're saying, in substance, equal in power and glory. I read that answer to him, and of course he came back at me with, what is the Holy Spirit? And now I had to say, how do I answer this question, seemingly simple, to a five-year-old at the time? What is the Holy Spirit? And so I basically started to explain that answer. Well, the Holy Spirit is God, at which point my son broke down crying and said, no, no, God is God. The Holy Spirit can't be God. He was experiencing, I think, what we all experience, how we can relate to this, this confusion when it comes to the Trinity, this confusion when it comes to who is God and what is God. And when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, maybe we get even more confused because it's easy to believe in God the Father because that's usually who we talk about when we say God. And we know Jesus Christ. We, we we're pretty, pretty firm on that. But now it comes to the Holy Spirit, the sometimes called shy member of the Trinity, the forgotten member of the Trinity. And it can be hard to see how he relates to the Father and to the Son. And because it's so hard, or maybe it's difficult, or maybe people don't talk about, errors abound. Some people just say, well, we don't really need to talk about the Holy Spirit, and, and we can only talk about when Jesus talks about it, and that'd be fine. And so we, we kind of put them over to the side, and, and that's really where a lot of people, I think, exist in the Christian church, is they, they really don't think about Mr. the Holy Spirit. It gets a little too weird, maybe. Some people go to the other side and they overemphasize the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden now Christ and the Father take a back seat and now they just talk about the Spirit and they overemphasize that and maybe that, that's probably not right either. Other people maybe err because they start thinking of the Holy Spirit only when there's fireworks or when there's really dramatic things happening or where things are going well. They say, well, that's got to be the Holy Spirit. Or maybe people err and they start thinking this Holy Spirit maybe turns people into He-Man, that we're all just humans, but now we can say, I have the power, and all of a sudden we're transformed into He-Man, if you like 80s cartoons, which I do. Side note, I loved He-Man because his name was Prince Adam, and that's <laughs> me, and he became He-Man. 
So what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And again, we can just turn to the witness of the ages, these, these, these catechism questions or the, the creed that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we look back at the catechism and says, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? It says that he is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants him irrevocably to all who believe. What we believe about the Holy Spirit is that he is God. And that's a good starting point for our discussion this morning when we talk about the Holy Spirit because that is what the creed says. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And we see this Trinitarian setup and structure of the creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And now I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a testimony of creeds and catechisms. It's what the Bible leads us to. For again and again, we see these verses that, that put the three persons together as the one God. Most famously, probably is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission. This is Jesus before he ascends to heaven, and the disciples come to him, and he tells them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I command you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Get that. Jesus says, baptize them in the name, the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, he combines it. This is what the faith is, that we believe in this. And it's not too far later when we see Paul writing in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 13, 14, with the classic benediction, may the, now I'm going to forget it, no, may the, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's my go-to benediction at the end of service. And if I hadn't planned one, I usually fall back on that one because it sums up that of what we need to know and what should encourage us as we go through our, our week. So we know we have to believe in the Holy Spirit as being God, as part of the Trinity, and we can struggle with how that, it, that is, that we realize this is who we worship God three and one. That really, when you look at the creed and when, you, when we look at the, the faith that's been passed down to us for the ages, that we realize Christianity by its nature is Trinitarian. Meaning, yeah, you don't have to be, you know, be able to articulate it that well or perfectly to be a Christian, but to be a Christian, you have to believe what the Bible testifies. That Jesus is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is is God. And now in the creed, we acknowledge this. I believe in the Holy Spirit saying we believe in what the Bible says God is. And this is important because when we see the Holy Spirit, this is a huge topic. Very important for our life as we follow Christ. Very important in how we even have life in the first place. And there's so many aspects, so many avenues we could go down when we talk about the Holy Spirit that it's um, troubling trying to fit it all into one message, so I won't do that. But I wanted to help get a guideline, a base level of what do we believe about the Holy Spirit. And so Ted Lotus suggested, hey, have some help doing that, and I will. And so I'm going to tag in um, a, a Christian rapper named Shailen um, to help lay, uh, give that baseline of what the Holy Spirit is and what we believe. This is different than what we normally do, but I think we're going to listen to his song. The words are going to be on the screen, and we'll be able to 
just get that good, good entry-level understanding of how the Spirit has moved throughout the Bible and in our lives, and then we'll come back and focus on uh, why that's relevant to us. So listen. You gave us breath, you gave us life, opened our eyes to see the Christ, the Holy Spirit, we worship you, the Spirit of God, we worship you. Ourselves were lifeless, so we ask you now for your powerful help to write this. God the Spirit, we worship thee. You've been one with God the Father, been God the Son for all eternity. One in your substance, one in your honor. Spirit, you are the love between the Son and the Father. Spirit, you're the creator whom we are praising, plus you're God's personal agent of recreation. We see you at creation, hovering over the face of the waters. You were faithful to order the waves in their borders. We spread death, the type to contaminate earth's inhabitants, but you're the breath of life that animates the inanimate. You filled your servants with skill. Knowledge and intelligence to build a tabernacle where God and man could fellowship, where the undeserving elect could serve you with reverence behind the curtain. Your essence, a picture of worship in heaven. You revealed in your word, it says in Ezekiel 37, breath of God, you're the worker of resurrection. Yeah. To raise from the grave the depraved and enslaved, the new race you create through Christ, the perfect servant shepherd. Speaking of Christ, we can see him in shadows and types. The prophets, kings, and judges, you empowered to battle and fight. You even had him write it down, the ultimate story. The sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. You take Christ's objective cross work and vindication uh -huh. and then apply it to the elect through regeneration. You save us from the lake of fire, make us like a great Messiah. Graciously, you take us higher. Praise to you, our sanctifier. Illuminator, uh -huh. our God, 
give him picture to see the ruling savior your thoughts are inscripted on our hearts with conviction yeah you're the father's provision who renews our nature and with our nature renewed now by grace we pursue conformity to the savior through the faith that's from you the fruit you produce is proof that your people are real directing our thoughts to jesus when our evils reveal you reveal our evil in the mercy of the cross and you seal your people and ensure that none are lost Spirit of adoption, you disperse his love abroad Within our hearts and spirits, so we're sure we're sons of God And with that blessed assurance, we're set for the warrant yeah. We're kept by your warnings and we're prepped for endurance yeah. You provide gifts, even miracles assuredly But fruit is a better gauge of spiritual maturity You unite us to Jesus so we can die to lust Spirit of Christ, you're the presence of Christ in us Already began his resurrection life in us So when he returns, by your might will rise from dust In Revelation, we see your presence before the throne yes. forever you will help us to reverence the lord alone you're the source of all life and yet your story's precise amazingly you do it all for the glory of christ did that a lot cooler and more concise than I could, and so that's why we, we chose to do that, and thanks, Ted, for suggesting that. So that just gave you the whole, it ran through, I love it because it runs through the whole Bible, it shows how the Holy Spirit with the Father, with the Son, has been involved since the very beginning, and has been present and carries on to the very end, and so that shows how God works together in his Trinity. But when we focus on the Trinity, what should we focus on? What do I want to, let's say, focus on today? And that's this one simple fact that's actually mentioned a lot in that song. is that this, the Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life. Now, when you're talking about life, whether it's physical life or spiritual life, the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is central for that. That the Holy Spirit brings us to know who Christ is. The Holy Spirit makes us, renews us, regenerates us to know who who God is, but also then empowers us to live a life for Christ. It actually gives us the energy, the ability to live an effective Christian life. The Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life. And when you think about the Holy Spirit, you think about the life giver. Just trace it through the Bible and you see that whether it's physical life or spiritual life, where you find life, you find the Holy Spirit. Where you find the Spirit is where you find life. Just think back at the beginning of creation in Genesis 1 as the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-2 is hovering over the faces of, of the water and the language there is like a mom bird hovering over her, her eggs, her chicks. And you get this image of care and life being brought in at the very beginning by the Spirit. When Adam is formed from dust by, by God, he then breathed in a breath of life into Adam, giving Adam a life. And we see the Spirit in action there. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the, the Spirit empowering the prophets to draw people back 
to God to proclaim his word. In Psalm 104, it talks about the spirit, how when God sends his spirit forth, they are created. Talking about all things are created. Again and again, we see where their spirit is, there is life. Famously in Ezekiel, we see that imagery of the valley of the dry bones, and when the spirit of God comes upon it, life is brought back from death. We see it again and again, and then when we hit the New Testament, we see an explosion of the Spirit at work as the church is planted, as people are empowered, as people are transformed and brought back to know who God is. The Holy Spirit is that life giver. And when we see that, the Holy Spirit, we see life happening, being brought to God's people. And most famously, we can open up our Bibles to John chapter 3, the first eight verses we see in one of uh, Jesus' most famous dialogues with someone, the importance of the Holy Spirit's work of bringing life. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, a teacher comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and its spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. In this famous dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus, he presents this, this fact. If you want to come to God, if you want to enter into God's kingdom, you must be born again. Which leaves Nicodemus in a, in a quandary. How can this happen? How can someone be born again? He even makes that absurd comment. Can someone enter the womb again to be born again? And Jesus says, no, we're talking about being born of the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit has to come upon someone and, and, and change who they are for them to come to know who Christ is. For them to come into the Spirit. That you have to be born of the Spirit. The, one, the, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives life. Gives spiritual life in the sense of a renewed life, a sanctified life, to give God's life to someone. And Jesus is emphasizing that with the flesh this does not happen. It can only happen with the Spirit. It can only happen when the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life that they can come into God's kingdom. That is the Spirit who gives the life, the one that works within us, that takes a person and makes them new so that they can know who God is and follow God. But the fact is, he uses the, the terminology born again because this is just like any life, isn't it? That life comes from God. I don't, I don't think anything illustrated this so much to me as in our own life. My wife and I, we went through a season where we could not have another child, and we went through all the fertility kind of things, and it, for a long time, about three years, this is a whole long process of disappointment and, and wondering what was happening, um, and then uh, we decided to take a break, and so we went off the treatments, or I should say she did. I was not on any treatments. She went off the treatments, and then a couple months later, what, what happens? Life. And we get a, a miracle child, Jillian. 
And, it, and I think that just brought home that through all the means of, hum, of, of technology, medical wisdom, which is, are great, we couldn't produce life. But when God said, let there be life, and gave us life, we have life. And we can see that in physical life, and we can praise God because, because of it. But that's why he uses this analogy of being born again, because it's not within our power, but the Holy Spirit must be at work. That the Holy Spirit is the life giver. But this also points to another fact, is that we need life. Now here is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, who's a leader of the Jewish religious people, and he says, you must be born again. That Jesus is talking to all of humanity that without, without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, we are not born again. We are in our sin. We're separated from our maker, and that, that is where we will stay if on our own, and, but we need life. We need that new spiritual life that only the Spirit can give us that we need the Holy Spirit to make us new. And this is a testimony again and again through the Bible. As you can think of passages such as Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, when he says, He saved us, talking about God. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, when he poured out on us richly, uh, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I love this just because it's talking about, not just because it's talking about how we're saved by the Holy Spirit renewing us, regenerating us, but it's, com- it's, it's combined with Jesus Christ. How do we get the Spirit? Through Jesus Christ, he pours out his Spirit on us to make us alive because he's our Savior. That's how he saves is through the Holy Spirit. John 6, uh, uh, verse 63, Jesus talking to, again, religious leaders says, is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Again, that combination, that in Jesus' words, the spirit is at work, and that we need to remember this when we go further uh, uh, forward, that it's through God's word that the spirit is at work, but that is how we have life, that the spirit gives life. The flesh, who we are, not, not talking about this physically, but on our own, is no help at all. The Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life. And it's that second part that's so important to us as we follow Christ. That the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us life and then send us on our way. The Holy Spirit doesn't just renew us and say, okay, now get to work on your, by yourself. The Holy Spirit does not leave us to our own devices, but the Holy Spirit stays with us and, and works within us and changes us and grows us so that we can actually follow Christ and live for Him. And we can think about how the Holy Spirit empowers us and we can read just the Gospel of John and again and again we see how, the, how He speaks of the Holy Spirit and how He is going to empower us. So we're just going to hit some verses here in John, starting in John chapter 14. Jesus talking, and in verses 16 and 17 he says, And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, talking about the Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You will know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Skipping down to verse 26. It says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance, all that I have said to you. 
So how does the Holy Spirit empower us to live for Christ? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit teaches us that when Jesus goes away, we have the Holy Spirit given to us, and we, we, this Holy Spirit brings back to mind all of Jesus' teaching, and us who stand on the other side of the cross and of the New Testament can say he takes all the teaching of God and brings it back to us and reminds us of how it's important and what it means that the Holy Spirit teaches us. And this is a great reassurance because I don't know about you, but sometimes I get confused pretty easy. Sometimes I don't understand that what the Bible is teaching me or showing me that well. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings that to our mind and teaches us what we need to know so that we can follow Christ. But he doesn't just stop there. Just going back in the next chapter, John chapter 15 and verses 26 and 27. Jesus says this, But when the hope helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So we have this other empowering that the Holy Spirit gives us, and that's the fact that he actually will bear witness about who Jesus is and then enable us to bear witness about who Christ is and who we know him to be. That the Holy Spirit is the one that works in us to be able to proclaim the truth of who Christ is. Again, I don't know about you, but this reassures me about how I can possibly share with someone the truth of who Jesus is and that they might respond. Because on my own, I'm afraid and I'm timid. I used to work in a uh, ministry called Young Life, and we did, I did wildlife, which was junior hires. And basically, you're supposed to develop these relationships with these junior hires so that you could share who Christ is. And I don't know about you, but junior hires scare me to death. And, and we were very fortunate in the, t- in the town I was ministering in that I could go into school and, and during lunch and help out in classrooms and, and you develop these relationships. And every single time, I was trembling in my boots because they're scary. These junior hires might think less of me. These junior hires might not think I'm cool. And here I was, a college kid. I was too cool for school, but they were cooler than me. And so... Every single time, how could I possibly trust that anything I did was effective? Well, because it's not me. It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit at work. And that every single time, I could pray and trust that I I was not doing this under my own power, but the Holy Spirit was working through his words, through the scripture that I would be sharing with people and that people could respond. But the Holy Spirit continues, and and just in the next chapter of John, John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, like teaching, but now here is the Holy Spirit guiding us in the truth. And so he's taking what we know to be true about Christ. He's taking what we can read about Christ and and what we know about God, and he's showing us and guiding us on how we can apply it to our life. Not only that, but he's saying, all that is Christ, I'm now taking and giving to you. 
So all of his teachings I'm making clear to you, all his, his righteousness that he has lived and performed, now I'm giving it to you so that you can stand righteously before God. And so he guides us in how we can live with God. One of the hardest things to do is apply what we know to be true about who God is and what that means for us. And the Holy Spirit guides us in how we can apply it to our lives, how we can apply the word in a meaningful way. If we skip to Romans, chapter 8, starting in verse 13, it says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. <clears throat> oh, one more. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provide that we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with him. Paul talking about how we are led by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, following who God has given us to help us. What happens? We put to death our old way of life and start walking in his ways. This is a process that, you know, theologians like to call sanctification because it's God has declared us, Christ has declared us saints, holy ones. And so often we're like, I am not a saint. Just look at how I drive or how I interact with someone when I'm just a little annoyed. I am not a saint at all. But this is talking about the process when we're led by the Spirit that we become what God has declared us to be. That when he says you're saints, we might not feel like it, we might not operate like it, but the Holy Spirit now leads us to put to death the things of our former ways of life and now to live for him and live out this new life and so we become what he has declared us to be. And what are we? Children of God. Sons of God. Heirs of God. That we get what is Christ. That we are elevated not from our own doing because, but because the Spirit is in us and gives us this new life. Galatians, Paul again talking about this, sums it up really well. It's probably the passage a lot of us know when we're talking about the Spirit or the Spirit's effects in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you do want to do. <clears throat> But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the thing, and things like these. I warned you, warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That we're called to live and walk by the Spirit. Not doing the things of the flesh, but rather the Holy Spirit is at work in us and therefore starts producing fruit within us. 
this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. I missed one. But all these things were, were produced in us. Why? Not because we strive harder. Not because we get our act together. Not because somehow we have made it to the next progression. No, because the Holy Spirit is at work in us producing its fruit. Because that's wh- whose fruit is it? it is, isn't it? It's not our fruit. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. And so we rely and depend on the Holy Spirit as it's bringing back the Word of God into our lives as we seek to live for Him. Where He's working in us, transforming us to be able to not only destroy the old self, but now walk in His ways and produce this fruit. This love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are produced not from our own efforts and striving, but because of the Holy Spirit working and living in us, making us who God wants us to be. So the Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life. When we're thinking about what that means for us, it's, it's the totality of the Christian life. And I love how John Calvin, the great reformer, put it like this, summing it up so well. He said this, When the Holy Spirit thus dwells in us, it is he who enlightens us with his light in order that we may learn and fully know the infinite riches which, by divine generosity, we possess in Christ. It is the Spirit who set our hearts ablaze with the fire of burning love of God and for our neighbor. Every day and increasingly is he who puts to death and destroys the vices of our evil desire, so that if any good works are found in us, they are the fruit and the result of his grace. Without him, there, is, there will be nothing but darkness in our minds and perversity in our hearts. That the Holy Spirit gives us this life in Christ, and then he empowers us to live out our faith. The Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life which answers and I think brings to mind maybe the biggest question if you've been a Christian at all, and that is how can I follow Christ? For if you love God, if you have come to that place where you know who Jesus is, but you see how you live, you're not living up to a standard. You're not living what you know to be true. You're struggling. You're experiencing that whole Romans 7, which you got to love that passage because Paul is talking about the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing, and he's struggling with this. It's a struggle, if we can be honest, we go through every single day. We wake up and we seem to start sinning. We wake up and we go astray. How can we follow Christ? It seems so far out of reach of our our ability. We mess up. We do horrible things. We sin again and again. We say we're not going to do it again, and yet we do. How do we do this? It's the the Jeremiah 13.23 stands out to this. This, this passage, can the Ethiopian change his skin can, or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. I love that passage because the, the applied answer is no. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? No. It is not within their ability. They can't do it. And so you, who are accustomed of doing evil, how could you possibly do good? We, who have lived a life apart from Christ, how could we now follow him? It seems impossible. But we try. We have good intentions. And usually humans, when they try to better themselves, what do they do? They try the self-help mode. 
They give us the latest book, the program. They try to revolutionize the habits. And that works for a while. Maybe it has really good things on the surface level. But one of my favorite quotes is that self-help is like trying to fix a broken hand by sticking it into a blender. Because that's what it is. We think we can help ourselves, but the problem is ourselves. The problem with help, self-help self help is that it doesn't go deep enough. It's like if you're going to build a, a road through the mountains, sometimes you have to dig through a mountainside to do that. And so when they do that, what do they do? They, they get explosives. And do they just load, load the explosives on side of the mountain and set them off? No, because all that would do would just maybe change the surface a little bit. But they drill inside to the mountain and put the explosives in there, and then when they go off, it destroys, it changes, it changes the mountain almost from the inside out. And the same thing is with the Spirit does with us. And when we're talking about how do we follow Christ, how can we change, we don't change except for when the Spirit changes us from the inside out, when the Spirit changes who we are. Jared Wilson, a Christian author, says this, when Christians live sluggish Christian lives, it's not because they don't have enough of God, but because they have too much of themselves. That too often we look to ourselves, too often we look to our own ability, too often we look to our own determination and will, not realizing that, the, that God has given us everything we need to live in God and godliness. All we have to do is depend upon him, rely on the Spirit. Going back to the New City Catechism, what I read to my son every night, I love how question 37 says, how does the Holy Spirit help us? And the answer is the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts, and desire to obey God, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. What else is needed? When you're talking about how can I live the Christian life, right there, the Holy Spirit helps us, does this, works within us so that we can. How does the Holy Spirit help us? Why is it important? Because the Holy Spirit shows us where our sin is. It guides us in the truth. It gives us spiritual life. The Holy Spirit brings us to a desire to obey God, a love of God. He makes us able to pray to God and to understand when we pick up God's word how this applies to us and how we can apply it to our life. The Holy Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit takes sinners and makes them saints. The Holy Spirit takes failures and brings them to a place where they are now followers. The Holy Spirit takes rebels and makes them children of God. Because the Holy Spirit is what changes us, transforms us, enables us now to live out that life he has given us. Enables us to serve faithfully, to live in love boldly, and to evangelize effectively. The Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life. So what should we do? Let's know the Holy Spirit. Let's avoid those errors that we talked about in the beginning of even not talking about him, not knowing him, maybe not, maybe being scared of um, studying him because that's where some, some weird things might happen. But actually, let's know who the Holy Spirit is as God and what the Bible says to him and how that changes how we live our Christian life. And then we walk in his power. That's what Galatians says. That's what Romans says. It says we now live our life in Christ. Why? How? By walking in the Spirit's 
power depending upon him and ourselves and not ourselves. We depend on the Holy Spirit. So often we, we only want to depend on ourselves. We're strong Americans who can get the job done and we can do it, right? The Holy Spirit is needed and we depend upon him because we have to come to a place of faith and knowledge that we don't have what it takes. But the Holy Spirit makes us into creatures of God who now follow him as he has designed us to do it. How do we walk in the Spirit? As I was pointing out through the passages, God's Word, Jesus' Word in the Spirit cannot be separated. That the Spirit lives within these words, and as we know God's Word, we know who the Spirit is, and we know how He wants us to walk, and as we start walking and trusting and following God, the Spirit's going to bring this back to mind, showing us what we're called to do so we can live for God in all that we do. So let's know the Spirit, and then let's depend upon Him to live our life for Christ. The Holy Spirit gives life and empowers life. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this truth about who the Spirit is. That we know that, Father, you sinned and Jesus achieves and the Holy Spirit applies and we know that you're, you're all Three, are, are present in working in creation and, and recreation and redemption and, and bringing about your church and how it's perfect. How it can confuse us sometimes maybe or maybe bring us to a place where we don't quite understand or be able to articulate what this means or what, how this looks like, but we know it's true and we trust and depend on the Spirit so that we can live for you, God. Lord, I pray for all of us that we can walk in the Spirit every single day of our life. That when we wake up and we realize we're trying to live on our, by our own power, we can put to death that and start living by your power that you've given us in the Spirit. That we open up the Bible and we can read and, we, and we, I pray, Lord, that we can pray for the Spirit to illuminate our hearts and our minds so that we can know what you're trying to teach us. And then we can pray, Lord, for the Spirit to help us put it into practice as we go out and live our life. Lord, we love you. We ask that we can walk in knowledge and dependence of your spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.